welcome to Nutrition and Fitness Made Simple with me, your host, Coach Kayla. This podcast is all about uncovering and simplifying the hundreds of health strategies to help you design the body of your dreams. This episode is going to be a little bit different. I was a guest on the Life Teacher podcast, and I simply had to grab the podcast and the, the, the video and the AV for my audience because it was such a great podcast. He asked me such amazing questions that I had to share. So again, this is Nutrition and Fitness Made Simple, and this is me on the Life Teacher podcast talking about your favorite subject, health, fitness, and nutrition. Let's jump right in. Hello and welcome to the Life Teacher Podcast. My name is Hector Suko and with me here today is Kayla Brock. With 16 years of experience in fitness and business, Coach Kayla has helped hundreds of clients lose thousands of pounds and eliminate the need for dozens of medications. A power lifter, a bikini competitor, speaker and entrepreneur, Coach Kayla is the CEO of Design Your Body Academy, which provides dedicated health strategists to create personalized nutrition and fitness coaching to help individuals reach their health and fitness goals. As a certified strength and conditioning specialist, health coach, and personal trainer, and having both a bachelor's and master's degree in coaching education, exercise physiology, and fitness management, she's a powerful ally to have in your health corner. Coach Kayla, welcome to the Life Teacher Podcast. Glad to be here, Hector. Thanks for having me on. First and foremost, aside from the introduction, tell us in your own words, who is Kayla? I'm a coach <laughs> through and through. I'm a coach. I'm an educator. Um, I'm an uplifter, you know, in all walks of life. Um, one of my primary goals in just personally in my life is that everyone that I meet walks away some kind of better, whether that's fitness, nutrition, health, entrepreneurship, spirituality. Again, my, my goal is to just improve people that I come in contact with. So overall, I'm, I'm a coach. That's what I do. <laughs> Thank you, Kayla. And let's go right into it, right? Every single person raised in the United States has taken physical education in school. And, you know, whether you've taken it every year or skipped a few years, it's always been there. And so tell us, why is physical health so important? Physical health is our life. You know, we, we, we've become ignorant of the power of our bodies and the power um, of keeping ourselves healthy, active, and um, overall together. You know, we focus on career, we focus on money, we focus on everything else outside of the vehicle that we are using to better ourselves. Um, so in school, I remember gym class. Favorite class. It's awesome. You know, you got to break from the boring things <laughs> in life. I remember doing the, um, I don't know, somebody, the president's fit test. That's how old I am. We had, that's the first year started. We had to do the president's fit test and a certain amount of, you know, pull-up holds or sit-ups or we got to climb ropes and all that. And physical health, especially for the youth, is important. Nowadays, we have an unprecedented amount of obese kids. And a lot, the, a big reason is parenting. And the second reason is that a lot of times uh, gym class, physical health is being taken out of schools. You know, in my area, it's, it's been taken out. So kids don't have that anymore. So focusing on physical health, you know, in terms of body 
and actual like nutrition and fitness is the crux for success and health and longevity in our lives. I understand that in schools, it has has some of the physical education classes, I I just call it PE, has been Mm -hmm. taken out. You, You are absolutely correct. But for those of us that have taken PE a good amount of times in school, we remember how cool, how exciting it was to to have PE as a class. And every time I would go out there as a kid, you know, I get the sun, you know, I get the wind, I get the the fun of playing with our, our friends. As an adult, I'm not as excited to go outside and play. What, what do you think changes with becoming an adult and not being as excited to go out and play? It's, it's not us that changes. It's us who allows our environment and the expectations of others to change ourselves. So we got to a certain point where um, it became unacceptable to roll around in the dirt. You know, we, we, we came to a certain point where, um, you know, we, we could no longer walk in the grass. We had to walk on the sidewalk because that was more appropriate and it was more acceptable. You know, we, we, our, our society has all of these stigmas and all of these rules and all these things about what it is to be an adult. It's, it's freaking crazy because it's, we, we take away the power of our youth and we rush to become an adult and then as an adult, we, we seek to find the things that can bring back our youth. We should have kept it in the first place. So this is, it's winter right now. I'm in Ohio. You know, it's, 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 it's snow yesterday. There's snow on the ground. I love snow angels. And I don't care how big and successful I get. I'm going to continue to be a kid, go outside, roll around in the snow and make snow angels <laughs> for my personal health and also my mental health, my emotional health, because it's fun. So we have allowed society to dictate the roles that we have filled. And that is a huge issue. And as a fitness coach, would you give permission to the audience to just be a kid again, go out and enjoy your life and, you know, in the process, exercise and get together with friends. And, you know, even if it's kickball, you know, I loved kickball, right? I would love to to play kickball again. Do you give adults permission to go out and enjoy that playness that they've enjoyed when they were a kid and and PE and all that? Absolutely. And beyond permission, I encourage it, you know, Um, because a lot of times we, vitamin D is very important. Most of us do not get enough vitamin D in our nutrition. So then we have to go outside to get that additional. No matter what the weather is, we still need to go outside. So like you said, whether you join an adult kickball league, that's great. You know, or you just decide to go outside and walk on your lunch break or whatever it may be, or sit outside with the kids or kind of play with them. If you're at the teacher podcast, play with your kids. You know, I know sometimes you might need to break during during that, that break period, but still put yourself in the best um, position possible to maintain your physical health, your mental health, and also your longevity, which is going outside, relaxing those stereotypical um, um, rules and lines we put on ourselves to be the adult, and go enjoy, go play, go outside, just play. Play is so important. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're saying outside, but as, but you know, there's a few years ago when I was thinking back and I was like, man, I miss being a kid. And I, 
And I would have loved to see someone because I don't have obviously the, the, the business mindset, but I've always imagined that some mogul, some business mogul would, would come up with an idea, sell it to investors and just create an adult quote unquote adult playground where there's like bounce houses and gladiator type events of, I don't know what you call it, the jousting where you're standing and then like you're, you're hitting someone. And then it, if they, Oh hit yeah. You, yeah. Like the wrestling thing we have the big, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't think of the term right now, but like just for adults to play and, and run around and obstacle courses and, and yet there's not much of that. There is like what you said, adult leagues of softball and kickball uh, I'm seeing ads right now that there is a big bounce house coming into our city and they're advertising it. And there's adult only sessions in which you can run around with adults in this bounce house and it's going to be outside. And I'm really curious. I kind of want to go and try it. And I don't want to sound immature. Like you said, like you're giving permission for adults to go out and play and enjoy life. And, and it's okay to be a kid again, because it's important for your overall health, nutrition, and even mental health. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, go out and seek that, and that, that fun in your life. And just like you were saying, like when we, we, sometimes we think there needs to be the adult hour, right? So if you take it back to, you know, the day camp days or your younger days at the pool, usually the, the lifeguard blew the whistle and there was some kind of adult swim, right? You know, only adults can be in the pool for, you know, this half an hour or whatever. But the real, reality is that even when there's no adult swim, there's no restriction on adults. So when we look at these play things, right, when we look at what our kids are doing, when we look at, you know, younger people, there's no age maximum. There's no age restriction. So don't view it as immaturity to go out and enjoy yourself. That is you participating in your own version of self-care, which is 100% necessary and important. Excellent. Let's go ahead and talk about mindset because laziness plays a big part in our adult life and after working nine to five if you have kids they're gonna wear you out how can we better our mindset to make sure that our physical health stays at least top five in our lives that is about understanding the power of the things that you are doing you know, so, and, and prioritizing. So some people may have money as, as their top five, which for most people probably is, you know, whereas spirituality may be the, the bottom two, you know, maybe not in that top five. So if that's something that's important, that's, that's your decision to change, you know, and sometimes we rely on having this magical and mystical experience where my mindset has shifted into being this Whereas a lot of times it doesn't happen. It, it's about habits. It's about, okay, what, what habit are I going to create for myself? I don't have to like it. The issue with how some people approach mindset is that they think their mindset reflects their feelings or should reflect their feelings. Here's the truth. Nobody cares about your feelings. Your body, your issues, your weight, your diseases, your whatever, it doesn't care about your feelings. 
The fact of the matter is, is your body has a minimum requirement for functioning optimally, regardless of how you feel about it. So it's up to you to create those habits and actually, you know, performing and helping that get better. As an example, um, mindset would say, I, you know, I need to get in the right mindset to get up in the morning and go work out. Or where again, that's that's I need to get the feeling and I have to want to, I have to have that desire. Or we can go back and just put it on our calendar and make it a non-negotiable in our lives and get up and do it regardless of how we feel. Now, my approach, I'm a very suck it up buttercup. I'm a very it it is what it is. I'm I'm very non, you know, frou-frou when it comes to that. Because the truth of the matter is, is your goals, your life, your health does not care how you feel. It still has a minimum requirement for what it needs. And all you need to do is put it on your calendar, make it a non-negotiable, and then act on it. So if you have to get up an hour earlier, you know, to, to get up, uh, go outside, go walk, or, you know, get your stretching in and do some body weight exercises or whatever, you do that eventually your feeling will come as a result of the success of your habits. Most times it's not the reverse. You don't feel and then do and then become successful. Most times it's you do, you become successful. And then because you're successful, you have a positive feeling and a positive attitude. Then that's when your mindset changes. That's, that's most times. But again, there are some times where people are able to literally take that bad success and say, hey, I'm going to live in this success right now. I'm going to make this okay in my mind and I'm going to do it. So yes, it does work both ways. You just have to decide for yourself, what have you tried before? And if that hasn't worked, try the other side. Quote, your physical health doesn't care about how you feel. So valuable so remarkable it is so true your physical health doesn't care about how you feel it is what it is so coach kayla kayla thank you thank you for 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 bringing that up to mind can i hear you just say that one more time your physical health doesn't care about how you feel it doesn't yeah your your physical health doesn't care how you feel your physical health has a minimum requirement and it's up to you to satisfy that minimum need regardless of your feelings so that you can function at the most optimal level to be healthy, to reach whatever goals you may have and to increase your life's longevity. I read a quote once that I'll never forget. You take care of your body. You only get one. Absolutely. All right, let's go on to nutrition. And I'm going to share with you an image you've probably seen your entire life, Coach Kayla. <laughs> yes, it is the food pyramid. <laughs> That's hilarious. And we've seen this in elementary school, right? Again, physical health has been part of our upbringing for a long time. And I'm pretty sure a teacher has shown you the food pyramid. Now, Obviously, this is an audio podcast for those of you listening. So just a little bit reminder at the very top of the pyramid is our fats, oils, and sweets use very little of it, but it, they can be part of your, your diet or your nutrition. The next level is dairy, yogurt, milk, cheese, and then on the right, meat, fish, beans, eggs, nuts, 
Uh, vegetables is next. A good amount of portion is your vegetables. And the other side of that coin is your fruits, grapes, apples, bananas, oranges. And on the bottom, which I do want to talk at length with you about, is your carbs, bread, cereal, rice, pasta. All right, Coach Kayla, what is your opinion about this notorious or uh, just, just call it what it is. It's a food pyramid, but give us your two cents on, on what you think about this image. Hector, I wish this was a video podcast so that everyone could see my surprise when you pulled this picture up, man. I I literally remember this in grade school, you know? <laughs> right now I'm 34 years old. So however many years ago that was, I remember learning the food pyramid and what we're supposed to do. And, but it's so wrong over the past um, oof. Oh, over the past two decades, this, this guide has changed at least two, possibly three times. And in some countries, even more than that, right? So this is the original food pyramid where you have your servings and you have, you know, your, your carbs on the bottom, fruits and veggies in the middle, your dairy and, and meat, you know, above that, and then your, your oils, your fats, and your, your sugar at the very top, indicating the level or how much you should consume. Now, this is wrong. This is wrong. It's outdated. Um, and beyond wrong, it's outdated. Okay. The next version of the food pyramid, it was confusing. It was really weird. So if you envision a, a pyramid, instead of stacking, you know, from the foundation all the way up to the top, the second version of the food pyramid was horizontal lines indicating how much, you know, the, the space indicated how much um, of whatever item you should consume. And it's funny because the government quickly changed that because they realized no one understood it. <laughs> you couldn't teach that to a third grader and have them understand, okay, well, this, this horizontal line, or excuse me, this, this vertical line um, indicates I need to have this many, like, it was confusing, right? Um, then the government transferred into my plate, okay? So my plate, and you can, anybody can find this today, that's what we're currently using still, um, it's myplate.gov. Um, so you can see the image of it. Um, so my plate, it, it made it visually more appealing and understanding. So the my plate is you have a circular plate, right? Um, and that plate is broken up into four portions, not all equal. Um, and so at the bottom, you'll see protein. Okay, so bottom right, protein shows that you should have uh, between 20 to 25% of your daily food or every single plate that you consume should be protein, okay? Um, right above protein, you have grains. Grains is a heavy, heavy additive still. Um, so grains is looking about maybe 30 to, um, yeah, probably about 30 or so percent of grains. You know, next to that, you have your fruits. Your fruits are looking about maybe 10 to 15, 10 to 20 possibly percent. And then your vegetables are a very high percentage of uh, about 30 or so as well. Um, now, so for those of you who are math teachers, my numbers probably don't add up, but just look up myplate.gov and you can kind of follow along. Um, and off to the side, you know, as if it's, it's indicating a, a drink, you know, a cup, then you have dairy. So um, this image, and again, this, is, this has, has uh, changed as well, right? So this image, even this image itself has, has changed. Um, the big problem is, is, we are still putting a huge emphasis on grains, 
right? We are still putting a huge emphasis on starchy carbohydrates, okay? Um, so I am not a proponent of um, government um, issues or regulations on nutrition um, because first of all, West style nutrition, the American standard diet, um, right? Or I should say the standard American diet, English teachers give me that acronym, standard American diet, S-A-D, we in the nutrition field, we call that the SAD diet, because this is why here in America, we are having so many issues and so many deaths and so many diseases as a result of the coronavirus, because we are following the standard American diet, which is extremely high in fast food, it's, it's high in uh, uh, fried foods, it's high in sugar and high in carbohydrates and high in unhealthy fats right? Um, so nutrition-wise, the biggest thing we need to focus on is, I'm going to tell everybody this, no matter what style of nutrition that you choose, 50% of your plate should be fruits and vegetables. 50% of your plate should be fruits and vegetables. If you want to break it down from fruit versus veggie, right? 40% should be vegetable, 10% should be fruit, because fruit is still sugar, right? And then you can have 20, 25% of starches and grains. And then the following 20, 25% should be of some form of protein. On average, right? 50% fruits and veggies, primarily veggies, 25% grains and starches, 25% protein. Notice dairy is not on that list. Now, dairy, it can fit into several categories. Dairy can fit into the category of protein. It can, right? But it doesn't have to. So one of the issues with the previous recommendations is that drink dairy, you know, eat dairy. Some bo most bodies are truly lactose intolerant. So if you eat cheese or you drink a glass of milk, you know, whatever else, and you have some gas gastrointestinal distress, i.e. you pass gas, you're probably lactose intolerant. That means that your body cannot break down the enzymes necessary to, or your body does not have the enzymes necessary to break down lactose, i.e., you shouldn't be consuming it. So dairy should not be a part of that. But yeah, nutrition is, it's confusing because we have diets and we have fads and we have this and that and all of these different um, ways to get to what I just said of that 15, 25, 25. But again, no matter what style you choose, 50, 25, 25, minimum to start. Thank you, Coach Kayla. There's another image that I would like to share with you and get your opinion on. And again, because it's audio, I am going to explicitly describe that image for the audience. So the, there are two people. Essentially, there's a person on the left who's overweight or obese, and it says breakfast, very small. And as, the, as you go down, there's a belly, your torso, and lunch is in the middle, kind of big. And then their big belly is a very big dinner. Now, the other body shows that it's a very muscular man. So if you have a big breakfast, those are the wide shoulders. If you have a smaller lunch, again, you're starting to form the abs and a very thin waist. Um, and again, you would assume that this guy has a lot of abs. A very small dinner, smaller dinner. So big breakfast, medium lunch, small dinner gets you to be very strong and fit. On the other side, very small breakfast, medium lunch, and a big dinner makes you overweight or obese. Coach Kayla, what are your thoughts about this image? Uh, it's, it's, it's misleading 
um, is not correct. And there are so many variables that go into it. Let's take an easy example. Um, so on the left, that's where you have small breakfast, medium lunch, big dinner, right? If my small breakfast is a half a cup of oatmeal, right, with no sugar, but I'll do half a cup of oatmeal, I'll do, um, let's say, some honey and um, some almonds. Let's say my lunch is a little bit bigger. It's a salad, you know, not with um, um, lettuce, but maybe spinach and arugula. It's a, it's a nice dark leafy green salad with a lot of nuts and seeds and avocado. And maybe I throw some salmon on there, right? And then my dinner, I might have a um, grilled uh, uh, ribeye um, with uh, a boatload of asparagus and a small amount of quinoa. My dinner calorically is going to be more dense than lunch or breakfast, but the the nutrition that I just described to you, um, that body does not reflect this larger body. So this larger body with a small breakfast, medium lunch, large dinner, that is shaped like a pear, right? It's shaped like a pear. It's a specific type of obesity called gynoid obesity, right? Um, so yeah, that's that's misleading. So the size of your meals does not, in terms of what is bigger than what, does not dictate your body. This image is indicating that the size of your meals will dictate the shape of your body. And that's incorrect because one, what are we eating, which is the most important, you know, two, what is the quality of what we are consuming? You know, now if I have a, if, if I eat fast food that way, sure. You know, if I eat a small, you know, breakfast sandwich from McDonald's and if I eat a medium size, you know, fast, whatever. So the image itself is misleading. So it's, it's not about the quantity in reference to breakfast, lunch, dinner of what you consume. Here's an example. Um, you can, some cultures consume a super large breakfast, you know, they'll skip lunch and they'll have a medium-sized dinner. That's not represented here. So nutrition is very specific. It's specific to each person, to each body type, and also your schedule. You know, I've also heard, and I'm going to push back just a little bit. I've also heard that there's a time, I don't know what it is, six, seven, and that anything that you eat after that time period gets, quote unquote, stored in your body overnight because your body's not using it for energy. Have you heard this? And what is your response? Yes, um, we've heard this. Um, I heard this in school and my traditional education. Um, but when I got to um, kind of my own personal career and being able to apply what I've learned, again, it's incorrect. What about people? What about the 911 call center operator who works third shift? If she stops or she, he stops eating at six o'clock, that's when they start their day. They can't, and then so they if they if their shift is six p.m. to six a.m. and then they they sleep the following, you know what? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't act as. So this is why I say your nutrition has to match up with your lifestyle and your schedule. So look at our truckers. Look at our our third shift operators, our second shift operators. Right? You you can't tell someone, hey, don't eat after eight. Right. I think the implication there is. 
not necessarily don't eat after this time. It's don't eat. Well, well, let's put a number on it. Don't eat three hours before you go to sleep because your body will store it. That's the idea. We say eight because the normal person goes to sleep around 9, 30, 10. And so that you shouldn't eat after seven because it's, again, three hours before you sleep. That's the idea. So is it good? Is it bad to eat before we go to sleep? It's about quality and what, you know, I don't think any dietitian would say I shouldn't eat a salad before I go to bed, you know, think about it. Like my, my schedule, I typically eat dinner between, um, eight to nine 30. And I try to go to bed by 10, 10 30. Okay. That's my schedule. And I wake up and I do, I, I also coach girls basketball. We have practice at six in the morning. So I'm not following that, that uh, thought process of don't eat three hours before bed because my schedule doesn't match that. I'm not staying up. <laughs> I'm not going to stay up until 12 just to abide by this rule that does not abide by my body. So the issue with the, the, the not necessarily issue, but the, the misnomer of the, my entire field is there, is there are very few one size fits alls. There are very few rules that we can say that everyone should do, right? Even me telling you, hey, eat 50%, you know, fruits and veg, that might not fit for some people. So there is there, there are no very few one size fits all. This is the rule that everyone should follow. Um, some people need more, some need less, some need different types. So it's all about how can we build a particular nutrition regimen to fit for the individual in accordance with their lifestyle at this moment. Coach Kayla, what are your thoughts about intermittent fasting? Whether it's 16, 8, 20, 24 is, is a little bit, you know, that's a lot. That's like one meal a day. It's called, I think it's called OMAD, one meal a day. Mm-hmm. And I've also heard 18, 6, where you, for those of you who don't know, intermittent fasting means that you do not eat for 16 hours of your day. That once those 16 hours are over, if you eat moderately, you will start losing weight. Joe Rogan says this all of, all of the time in his podcast. He's actually had doctors and, and fitness coaches on to say, yeah, fasting does work and autophagy and it has all these benefits. So what are your thoughts about intermittent fasting? I love it. <laughs> Pretty simple. I love it. Intermittent fasting is absolutely amazing, but it does not work for everyone. Okay. Um, again, that's, that's the point. It does not work for everyone. Here's an example. Um, there are some people who are currently intermittent fasting, but they are extremely unhealthy, out of shape and diseased, right? So it's, it's not just simply 16, eight, you know, it's not just simply here are these rules to follow because you have some people that only eat twice a day. And again, they are sitting in hospital beds right now because of their immune issues, because their body is not strong enough to heal itself. The purpose of food is healing and fueling. And so if their nutrition style does not match up with that, it's not for them. So again, back to the main point, every nutrition style is not for everyone. So yes, every nutrition style, you know, in terms of that 16-8 or, you know, the OMAD or the warrior diet, meaning eating one meal a day, or you can skip a day. You can do intermittent fasting on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. 
um, and normally on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So it's it's about what works for your body. Now, for individuals who are looking to begin their process of intermittent fasting, what you do is you can set a time where your normal dinner will be over, right? Let's say eight or nine. Um, if you set a time from 8 p.m., then you push your breakfast back two or three hours. That's not going to be a 16, eight per se. You know, your breakfast may start at 10 um, instead of the seven that it normally does. And that's okay. It's a way to prepare yourself because though I am a suck it up buttercup kind of coach, I still have to be realistic with my clients and say, hey, this may be a difficult process for you because, or for anyone, because we are used to eating at seven, right? We're used to eating at six. So if we transition into, you know, going from a, a eight to, to 12, which is that ideal mark, that can be a healthy start. Um, science also shows that for women, intermittent fasting should be different than men because our hormones are different and they operate differently. Uh, but yes, intermittent fasting is a really great nutrition style. If you currently are not eating equally throughout the day, meaning breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? Or at least breakfast and dinner, if you're not eating equally throughout the day, you're intermittent fasting. And if you are unhealthy, if you are unhappy with your body, that means that that intermittent fasting does not work for you. And you need to actually go back to a minimum of three meals a day. You said fad diets earlier, and that was a topic I wanted to bring up with you. And I think the number one fad diet right now across the country, I think is keto. I don't know if you would agree with me or that, but I think keto has become a very popular, just cut out carbs and sugar, and you should be okay, mainly protein and, and vegetables. What are your thoughts on these fad diets like keto, paleo, et cetera? Um, I love keto. Um, I did a bikini on keto. I did powerlifting on keto. And I was in the best shape of my life beyond my division one athletic career in college. <laughs> so I'm a huge fan of keto um, and the science behind it makes sense. Uh, it matches, you know, it, it's, it's, it's sound. Now, when we look at fads, we automatically associate negativity with the term fad. Just because it's becoming mainstream does not mean something isn't good or doesn't work or isn't sound. So keto, yes, has become much more mainstream recently, but keto has been around for hundreds of years, right? One of the big claims that keto makes in terms of its longevity are how the Inuit uh, um, um, Indians up in Alaska, that's, that's how they ate. There is no fresh fruits and veg. You know, there are no grains. So they survived on whale blubber and whale protein for years. And that's, that was their livelihood, you know, like that, that's how they consume. That's how they ate. And of course, they're still healthier than the sad Americans, right? Um, so, or if we look at paleo, yes, paleo was, was more of a fad probably about maybe seven to eight years ago. Um, you know, that was kind of like, it's, it's, it's hype, but the, the nutrition makes sense. Why not do what our ancestors did? You know, they are much more healthy than what we are today. We rely on the, the supplements of uh, drugs. We rely on the supplements uh, of pills and this and that to get us to a certain point. 
yes, our longevity in terms of our, our lifespan, I should say, is longer, um, but it's, it's not because they, we're healthier, okay? So going specifically to paleo, one of the big misnomers is that everyone ate everything. That's a big misnomer. There are certain cultures or certain areas where your ancestors are from where they might not have had um, um, uh, sweet vegetables or sweet fruits. They might not have had mangoes and papayas and watermelons and whatever else. They might not have had that level of sweet fruit. So for your specific paleo ancestors, what did they eat? That means we have to know where we came from. If we can know where we came from, then we can consume the foods that are traditional in that area. And many times we will find that it's primarily protein, you know? And in some cultures we'll find that it's primarily grains. So I'm a big fan of paleo, but if I'm gonna do it with a client, we've gotta really look into their genes and their genetics and their history. And I have to say, where'd you come from? And then we go back to that location and see, what do they eat? Thank you, Kayla. Uh, the next thing I wanted to ask you about is water. Now, we know that pure water doesn't have flavor, but we also know that water is the purest form of liquid that we can put into our bodies. It is necessary for survival, but it again, it doesn't have flavor. Is there a trick or a certain mindset that can convince people to just drink water and no soda, diet soda, juice, tea. Tea is good, um, but you know, again, tea may taste bland without sucrose, sugar, uh, some sort of sweetness like Splenda. Uh, what what mindset can people place on themselves to convince themselves that water is not just necessary for life, but towards your overall health and can help? get you fit and lose your, lose the weight? I think that people know that water is necessary and it's a good, you know, thing to add for overall health. But I think the issue you're referring to is it doesn't taste good. <laughs> and so if something doesn't taste good, it's harder for us to, to fall into it. Just like exercise, we don't like to do it. So it's harder to jump into an exercise routine or be consistent because again, we are focusing on our feelings, what we like what we feel, what's this and that, okay? So you know how I feel about that. Now, in terms of water, um, it's all about, if, if taste is the issue, then make it taste good. Easy way to make water taste good is add fruit to it. Slice up some pineapple, slice up some strawberries, you know, put a dash uh, of lemon uh, in there. And now you have a, fl a healthy flavored water. And that flavored water is not flavored by Propel, right? We don't know what that is, <laughs> what the flavors are in there. So use your fruits and vegetables to uh, a sweeten or to flavor your food, right? Use food to flavor your food. Um, so by adding, again, fruits and vegetables to your water. So in other words, if you have a blender or not a blender, a, uh, a shaker, right? You can put fruit and vegetables inside your little shaker bottle and use that. Shake it up, make sure that the, the pineapple, the banana, whatever you put in there, that, that those nutrients are working through the water so that you can taste it. So water-wise, that's an easy one. Add something that tastes good. 
Now, I've heard both sides of that argument where a nutritionist will say, you know, drink water, drink a gallon of water a day. It's the, it's the best for you. And then there's another side of that coin where they say your body is your body. It has thirst signals. So you should only drink water when you're thirsty. Uh, where do you stand in on that spectrum? Um, the, the signal is a red flag. So we should not wait for the red flag to satisfy our needs. If you're thirsty, your body is telling you, I'm already dehydrated. So you should not wait until you're thirsty to drink. Um, you should drink naturally throughout the day. Now, everyone talks about consuming a gallon of water a day. Let, let's just look at mathematics. Let's look at what makes sense, right? Um, if you have a 140-pound woman that's five foot six, and then you have a 220-pound male bodybuilder that's, you know, five nine, should they both be consuming the same amount? This just doesn't mathematically make sense. So it's not drink a gallon of water a day. Here's the particular measurement. You should drink half of your body's weight in ounces of water per day. I'll say it again. You should drink half of your body weight in ounces per day. So for that 220 pound male, he should drink 110 ounces a day. For that 140 pound female, you know, she should drink half of that per day. I personally, I can't get in the, I, I can't get in the gallon. It, it makes me feel absolutely terrible. And that's okay, because that's not for me. I've also heard, and probably this is the last question on water, is that, you know, water is essential for all of your organs. And I also heard that it helps with digestion. So should people be drinking, let's say, a cup of water or two cups of water before they eat? Should, I don't know. Can you? Yes, right? Um, so if you're, if you're looking to save, if, if you're looking to fill space in your stomach because you know you're an overeater, you know you enjoy food and you know you eat until you're full, yes, drink your water first because it'll make you feel fuller and then you'll consume less overall calories. So for a calorie perspective and a weight loss perspective, yeah, drink a glass, two glasses of water first, right? Because sometimes those hunger signals are coming because our stomach is empty and we can not necessarily lacking nutrients, but because our stomach is empty and we can fill that with water. Um, as a kid, I remember uh, being at my grandmother's house and she would make us eat our food first and then drink our juice or water afterwards because she didn't want us to get full on the liquid. So again, that's a strategy um, that depends on where you are, on what your goals are and what your body needs are. Thank you, thank you. Let's move on to fitness. Now we talked about fitness at, towards the beginning, but let's go a little bit more into it now. Should people, let's say, come up with a fitness plan? Should they just start walking? Let's say someone's not being fitness, they hear the podcast and now they're encouraged, right? Mm -hmm. um, should people, let's say, come up with a fitness plan? Should they just start walking and, and figure it out as they go? I also want you to try to answer in the same, uh, same breath, what you think of these traditional exercises like 
sit-ups and push-ups and pull-ups? Um, so number one, it depends on where you are. If you are a new exerciser, if you are excessively overweight, if, if you have diseases and other issues, start off walking. Start off walking, you know, uh, minimum once a day, five to 10 minutes a day. Number one, to build the habit. Number two, to allow your body some preparation for the things that will come later. So you have to set a proper foundation because if I have, you know, a 55 year old client who had a double knee surgery four years ago and she's, you know, uh, 70 pounds overweight, I'm not going to throw her into a hit routine. One, that's negligent. And two, she might have, she might injure herself. So start off lower than what you think is necessary and then go off of the feelings of your body. Okay. Number two, in terms of a workout routine, after you know you've got a good foundation, then start, you know, then start. You can either sign up for one of my programs at designerbodyacademy.com <laughs> or even go to YouTube, right? Just start off with the, okay, I need a 10 minutes um, cardio, um, no weights workout. Type in those keywords at, on YouTube and you'll find several videos, probably find some of mine um, and get started. Um, now creating a workout routine is for a strategy, right? That's where we really excel. We excel at people who have a particular goal. You want to lose 70 pounds. There needs to be strategy to help you do that. You know, you want to be a bodybuilder. There needs to be strategy to help you do that or accomplish those goals. So in, in terms of being healthy and active, no, you don't need strategy just to be healthy and active, just move and eat right. Okay. But if you have a goal that you want to reach, then yes, you do need strategy. Now, strategy looks like how many sets, reps, exercises, what muscle group are we working today? How many times should I work this? That, that's where those particulars come in. Okay. Now, moving on to the second question of traditional exercises. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are exercises. Every single one of my exercise programs will have some form of a squat, some form of a push-up, some form of a pull-up, right? Some form of a sit-up. Those are our primary muscle groups. If I do a squat, I work almost 90% of my body. So of course, I'm going to have that in my program. If I do a push-up, I'm working 95% of my body, if not 100%. So I'm going to have a push-up in my client's workout program, you know? So things that are causing every single joint in your body to move are excellent exercises. So let's envision a push-up, okay? We're going to start from feet and then go to head, all right? On a push-up, you're laying flat on the ground. Matter of fact, let's start in the up position where your arm's straight. So your feet, look at your ankles, look at your toes. They're in a flex position right? Your ankles are in an extended position. That means your calves are operating to keep your body up. That means if your knees are off the ground, your quads are firing to keep those knees straight, okay? Um, if you go up to your hips, in order to keep your hips up, your glutes and hamstrings have to be, have to have some form of tension. Your core has to be engaged. Obviously, we know your chest is engaged and also to maintain your scapula, so your upper back bones, your muscles in the upper back have to be activated. Um, with those arms out straight, your entire shoulder joint, 
Every single muscle in your shoulder has to be activated, okay? And then to keep your head up the right way, your neck muscles have to be activated. So a push-up works, again, 98% of your body. Now, your facial features, that's probably that 2%. Those muscles probably may not be working <laughs> during your push-up unless you're, you know, grunting and all that. So absolutely, you want to have ex those traditional exercises, squat, push-up, um, any kind of setup for that, that core, right? Um, and pull up in some capacity, okay? And what is planking? Planking is, so imagine your body in a push-up position You're on your hands. Now, if you just drop down, so you bend your elbow and you drop to your elbows, that's a, that's a plank. And so why, plank is when, I'm so sorry, uh, why do people find it so difficult? Because a plank is so difficult because it requires a high level of core activation. Most people's cores are extremely weak. That's why most Americans or many Americans have severe back issues and problems because there's an imbalance in core. If we're sitting at a desk all day, if our posture sucks, that means our shoulders are rounded and hunched. That means our tailbone is tucked in. Now we have a shortened rectus abdominis. We have shortened core muscles. That means they're not operating and not firing at all throughout the day. So when you ask, your muscles to go from zero to a hundred, meaning whatever you weigh, that's taxing on your body. That's why many people can only hold a plank starting off maybe 10 seconds, maybe 20 seconds. So if you can only hold your body weight for 10, 20 seconds, we've got work we need to do. And is that something that you would recommend for anyone that can do it? Say, see how, how long you can hold a plank for. And if it's a certain seconds, then you need to start working on your overall fitness. Yes, plank, plank doesn't indicate overall fitness, but it does indicate core stability and core endurance. Um, when I have my clients, when a new client signs up for a program, um, I don't just, you know, say, hey, do these exercises and you'll be good. We do testing to see where do they fall, to see where their strengths and weaknesses are. And in one of my tests is, how long can you hold a plank? The information I get from that tells me the level of your physical activity or the level of, of your, your, your core activation. How strong is it? How weak is it? How much work do I have to do to get you to where you need to be? <laughs> and your body has to be straight, right? You cannot downward dog a plank. <laughs> Absolutely. So the tailbone should be tucked under, right? So here's activity for everybody. If you take your, your pointer finger and your index finger, you put it on that bony process in the front of your hip, and then you take your thumb and kind of find that same bony process in the back of your body, you'll be cupping your sides. Now, if you imagine you're cupping your sides and it's a bowl of water, if you tilt that bowl of water forward and down, that means water will pour out from the front, okay? That is an anterior pelvic tilt. If you do the reverse, if you try and tilt that bowl of water posteriorly or to the back where water will pour out behind you, that is a posterior pelvic tilt, okay? When you're doing a plank, a push-up, a squat, a pull-up, any kind of physical activity, your body should be in the semi-posterior tilt to align your spine properly, meaning no downward dog, meaning your hips can't cave in and kind of slump in while doing that plank or that push-up. So your body has to be straight. 
Shoulders, hips, knees, ankles should be in a straight line when doing a plank, a uh, push-up. Thank you, Coach Kyla. A few more things I wanted to touch upon. Uh, number one, a, what do you? What is your opinion about standing desks? I'm on one right now. <laughs> yes, they're absolutely amazing. Um, if again, if you guys could see me, you'd see me fidgeting. I'm moving when I'm seated. Seated in my standing desk, I don't move that often. So all this does is this helps my body stay mobile. It helps my joints to stay awake. It, it helps my 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 body, my joints stay lubricated. And I'm burning extra calories because I'm fidgeting. So yes, I highly recommend standing desks. Mine was $130. That is it. And I can pick it up and move it to somewhere else in my house because I work from home if I want a different view. Um, and then in terms of when you do sit down, try your best not to use an office chair. Get an exercise ball. Just a big old exercise ball that you would see in gym class. Sit on that. And now you're going to start bouncing around. You're going to start rolling your hips. You're going to start moving. And guess what? Using your muscles, using your body. Now, in terms of that chair, don't get the exercise ball that has a, a, a space for your butt, like where it has an actual chair, you know, or seat, I should say. Don't get the exercise ball where it's it, 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 it sits in place, like the ball may sit in a little cusp or a thing to keep it stable. Because if the ball stays stable, why are you sitting on it? Like, that's the whole point. So the, the stability is given to the mechanisms of that chair instead of your muscles. So put your body in the best position where you can be active all day long. And yes, bouncing is just like walking. You get steps on your Fitbit, on your, your uh, <laughs> activity tracker. It counts. <laughs> Now, do you have a pad for your feet? Because that's a lot of weight on your soles. It's my body weight. Right. So well, do I'm you, standing. Yeah. Do you stand on a pad? No, I'm in my office in this regular carpet. You know, oh, okay. so think about it. The muscles of my feet should be able to handle my own body weight. That's that's literally their entire purpose in life. <laughs> and so if somebody's feet hurt, let's say they, they're trying to stand and, and, and their, their feet start hurting after, let's say, an hour of standing, would you suggest going to a doctor or even a podiatrist to see what's going on? No, not at all. Then sit down, take a break. Oh, because, okay. Okay. Yeah. Your, your, your feet muscles, they're muscles. It's just like a plank. If, you're, if your plank, if your form is starting to fail in your plank, then take a break and then do it again. So my desk, my standing desk, I will raise it. I will lower it throughout the day. There, I'll change my feet position. Um, if, if you look up this position, it's called the uh, pigeon, I believe, in yoga. No, 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 I'm sorry. It's called the tree pose. It's, it's where you're standing on one foot. Let's say I'm standing on my left foot and I have the sole of my right foot on my inner left thigh right? So it kind of looks like an angle, weird angle. That, that's a pose that I do often because I'm shifting my weight. I'm letting my right foot relax while standing on my left and vice versa. So it's, it's okay for, your for you to feel your muscles. Think about this. When people exercise, they start doing abs. They'll do sit-ups and they'll say, oh, well, coach, my neck hurts and this and that. Great. Those are muscles. That's awesome. Keep going. <laughs> so we, we become afraid of feeling muscles in our body that we haven't really felt before, you know? So take care of it. Don't overdo it. Don't day one stand up for eight hours. 
work your way up, work your way up. Okay. And the last two things I wanted to talk about was number one, and I don't know if you want to answer both together is unhealthy food addiction and stress eating. Now, I don't know if they're, if they connect in any sort of way, but um, can unhealthy, can eating unhealthy food time and time again, become an addiction? Yes. Yes, it can, because there's a, oftentimes there is a reason why we seek a particular thing. You know, for stress, we might go out. Uh, we might eat, you know, if I don't feel like cooking, I'm door dashing it, you know, and now because I have options to door dash, I might not choose the healthiest thing, right? So take it back to the, your students, take it back to the student athletes, you know, little kids, girls and boys, they lost their softball game. Okay, guys, let's go get ice cream and pizza. You know, take it to college, right? Where, you know, you got a bad grade and it's just like, dang, I'm going to go get get ice cream and pizza. McDonald's, Burger King. Exactly. Or let's celebrate. Let's get ice cream and pizza. So we have trained our youth to respond to their emotional highs and lows with food. That is the core, or that is usually the beginning of, of an addiction, of a negative process. So we have to reframe that. So if you are parents or if you are coaches, reframe that, okay? Now, in terms for us being adults and experiencing those things, recognize where you are and how you are feeling when you eat certain things. So if you have a bad day, do you typically go to alcohol? Do you even know that you typically go to alcohol? You know, if you are having a stressful situation, um, do you go to the mac and cheese? Do you go to something heavy? Just, just start to journal what you eat and your emotions surrounding that particular food. Well, I've done that. I have, I have written a letter, you know, and, and people have said, you know, write letters to even things that don't even exist or, or are inanimate, like money, write a letter to money and your emotions will pour out into the paper. And I've done the same thing for food, right? Dear food, you're always there for me. You calm me down in stressful situations. You, you taste very, very good. And when I'm eating you, I feel really good. Um, even Gabriel Iglesias, the comedian would say, you know, there's a reason why it's called comfort food. Exactly. And, you know, he would say, you know, somebody would ask him, hey, Gabriel, why do you eat? Why do you drink Diet Coke? And then he would respond, because I can eat regular cake. And so it is part of his routine, but he has gotten fitter. Um, and there's many of them. Like, I'm going to show you an, another image. I wanted to show you earlier, but I'll go ahead and show you now. Right. And, and it's almost like a lie we tell ourselves. Take a look at this image. Okay. Uh, this is the reason why people will always be fat, <laughs> always on a diet. It's me. I'm people. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, they're eating a salad. On Friday, they're eating uh, two slices of pizza and three uh, glasses of Coke. And then on Saturday and Sunday, they're eating nine Happy Meals, four slices of pizza and, and Coke all around. Um, and it's pervasive. I really, truly think it's pervasive. Um, and so logging it down, like you said, journaling it, 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 I think it even goes deeper. Like how do you fight? And, and it's not a type of an addiction in which your family's going to come and 
intervene. This is not an alcohol issue. This is not a drug yeah. issue. Uh, people don't tend to put you in, in white straight jackets because you're overeating. So what else can we do, coach? The biggest thing, again, is to start to understand why. And in order to understand why, you have to log what you are eating, whether it's my fitness pal or another log app or just a, a, a pen and paper journal. Log what you're eating and your feelings behind it, okay? Those feelings are super important because right now you probably run your life off of your feelings. So we need to understand how we feel so that we can address that feeling itself, okay? Um, I, I had a client, I laugh at that image because it's so funny. I literally had a client um, who came to me because she wasn't losing weight. You know, um, she signed up because the things that she was doing, she'd work out five days a week, Monday through Friday. She'd hit it real hard, hard workout. She'd eat salads all day, Monday through Friday, but she took a break on the weekends. Literally the exact same image. She would go out and she would drink and she would, you know, just hang out, have fun. And the issue is caloric balance, right? So calories are units of energy. Remember, energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It can either be transferred or stored, okay? So if you are uh, using that energy, you know, you're exercising, you're standing at your desk, you're walking back and forth teaching your class, those calories are being utilized, okay? If you're seated, if you're not exercising, not acting or eating too much, those calories are going to be stored in the form of fat. So the issue for that particular client when she came into me was that the calories that she burned or used or didn't consume Monday through Friday were superseded by the calories that she ate on Saturday and Sunday. So she had her cheat days. Her cheat day was Saturday, Sunday. So she consumed, you know, 10,000 calories on Saturday and Sunday, whereas during the week she burned 10,000 calories and she's or 9,000. And she's wondering why is she slowly gaining weight over the weeks and months, right? So log your food, understand the emotions behind it. And if there are no emotional issues behind what you consume, understand what that habit is then tracking you towards because you may see ooh you know Wednesdays it's I typically overeat on Wednesdays and I don't back up that eating with proper exercise fitness nutrition another point is make your plate match match your exercise make your exercise match your plate so if you did not work hard enough to earn that drink on Friday night don't do it <laughs> point bank period you know if you want to maintain your weight it's a balance now if you want to lose weight make sure your physical exercise or activity outweighs what you are consuming it doesn't mean don't consume food it just means step up your activity and last question coach kayla if somebody thinks or are convinced they are addicted to food that they stress eat and even if they, let's, let's say journal and stuff like that, but they really can't put a, a, a pinpoint on it, would you suggest to someone to seek therapy for their issues instead of driving themselves towards food? Absolutely. They're, they're, I'm a big proponent of therapy. Anyone, everyone, you know, should be in some kind of therapy, whether professional or not. Um, so what, 
what I do here in my company at Desire Body Academy, we are fitness and lifestyle strategists, you know, and then on the nutrition side, we have our registered dietitians. So a lot of times people start off, we have to take them through lifestyle strategy before we can even get to the fitness because there are things that we have to understand and then we have to help the client understand where their mindset is, where their mental state is. So if you are at the point where you know you're doing something wrong in terms of your nutrition, unhealthy, I should say, and you can't figure that out or the why yourself, you can either seek therapy or you can seek a fitness coach like myself or my company because we can help under, help you understand what those issues are and then add tips, tricks, and strategies around that to help you to design the body of your dreams. And let's talk exactly about that. Coach Kayla, thank you for coming on to my podcast. Tell us, where can we find you, your team? Tell us everything. Yeah. So again, guys, my name is Coach Kayla. You can find me online at Coach Kayla. Kayla is spelled C-A-I-L-A-H. So find me on Instagram and Facebook there. Um, and our website is designyourbodyacademy.com. And that is literally what we do. We have dedicated health strategists to help you to build the strategy and the process necessary to design the body of your dreams. Whether it's losing five pounds or 55 or competing on a bodybuilding platform or powerlifting or bikini, that is exactly what we do. All of our health strategists are ready and willing. We're taking on new clients at this point. Um, so if you need help in understanding the strategy, I gave you some major keys and major tips. But if you don't want to put that together yourself, then hire a professional and we'll help you with that. So find us at designyourbodyacademy.com. Thank you, Coach Kayla. Coach Kayla, do you have any books available for people to read? Actually, yes. Um, I wrote a book in 2014 called Design Your Body, Your Guide to Cutting Through the Fat. And that is available on Amazon, on Kindle, on whatever. So go search on Amazon, Design Your Body, Your Guide to Cutting Through the Fat. You guys can pick that up. Excellent, Coach Kayla. The title of this episode is Physical Health, Fitness, and Nutrition with Coach Kayla. And that will do it for this episode of the Life Teacher Podcast. Thank you for listening.